This is Neon Radio, episode 129, with Connor Beaton. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Hello, hello, fellow Neonites. It's time for another episode of Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and it's great to be back. We have a great guest today. His name is Connor Beaton from over at Mantox, at Mantox on Instagram. Check it out. Lots of great insights and wisdom for men and for women. And he is actually the boyfriend of Vienna at Mindful MFT, who we interviewed last week or on the last episode. Go check her out. Uh, we talked about relationships, and these two are a dynamic duo. So it was really great to interview Connor this week on on creating peak performance through personal growth in your creativity and business. Uh, Connor was an opera singer who traveled the world and has moved into doing man talks and helping men all over the world create better lives and deepen their relationship with their self and with their significant others. We also talk about personal growth in relation to entrepreneurship and how to really get through the ups and downs and how to use this stuff to access a higher level of creativity when you're sitting at home in the office being creative or when you're whatever creative, if you're painting, if you're doing photography, if you're singing, if you're acting, whatever that is for you. So don't forget to go over to check out the Neon Life community and join other creatives and share your work and share your ideas and collaborate, share your inspiration over at neonlife.com slash community. That's N-I-O-N life.com slash community. You can also check the show notes out to this episode at neonradio.com slash EP129. And we'll link everything up that we mentioned in the interview. So with that, I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Connor Beaton. What up, everyone? Today we have Connor Beaton from Mantox on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming and checking out the studio over here. I mean, it is pretty, it's pretty damn awesome. I feel like you should give tours, you know, like Gary Vaynerchuk does paid tours of his office now. You could start charging for like the creative tour. Paid tours. He's yeah. doing paid tours. Well, te- technically you can spend 10 grand for a day and get like an under the hood look at their marketing sort of like studio. So like how their team works, what they do, you know, how VaynerMedia has been built into this, you know, $150 million enterprise. So maybe <laughs> one day you can just do like a creative tour. You might want to start off with like free, maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll give video tours for now and then that works. we'll work on charging. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough about Gary. Let's talk about you. Uh, I want to give these guys, uh, an idea of your background. You were an opera singer, a hockey player, and let's just kind of tell us the story of where you came and what you've been building and then with that and then into Man Talks and then we'll start diving into everything else from there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, 
which is in Canada. And for people who are in the States or outside of Canada, just imagine like the Texas of Canada. It's, it, there's a lot of oil. There's a lot of big trucks. There's a lot of cowboys and cowboy music. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of like the environment. That's, that's really what it, that's really what it looks like, except half the year it's like minus 30 and snowing out. That, so that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I don't live there anymore. Um, but so I, you know, I grew up there and, uh, yeah, I played hockey until after high school. Um, I was not like the best student in school. I was the sort of like the Jim Carrey of class. Like I was always making jokes. I was always getting into like a little bit of trouble. Uh, but I loved having fun. I just couldn't pay attention in class. So after high school, I graduated. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I, I liked a few things. I was sort of like good at everything, mm-hmm. but never really great at one specific thing. And, uh, and so I started doing construction cause my stepdad got me a job doing that. And I'll never forget the first week. It was February 2nd that I started like my very first week and I was working the overnight shift and they were like, oh, yeah, you need really warm clothes. So you got to go out and buy like really warm clothes. And so I went to Mark's Work Warehouse, which is, I don't know. Do you guys have that here in the States? What is it? Mark's Work Warehouse. It's like a. Yeah, no. Okay, well. <laughs> That's definitely a Canadian thing. It's a worker. You buy, you buy worker <laughs> clothes there. So anyway, so I went and bought just like, you know, a whole bunch of really warm clothes and showed up the first night. And, and it was a first, it was a night shift. And I started at 6 p.m. until 6 o'clock in the morning. And the coldest that it got was minus 52 with the wind chill. And I just remember being out there being like, what in the hell am I doing (laughs) with my life? Like there's gotta be something more than this. Uh, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll do, do like the Coles notes flash forward. Um, hated construction, got offered, uh, the chance to go back to school and do geotechnical engineering, uh, which is really boring. It's basically rocks and dirt. And that didn't excite me at all. (laughs) (laughs) But my dad, who worked for the federal government, him and I were having a conversation one day and he said, you know, you're you're really creative. You've always been very creative. You've always loved music, but you've just never done anything about it. So why don't you go take a lesson? I'll I'll pay for the first one because he sang with the Edmonton Opera in the chorus. Oh, wow. And so I was like, okay, cool. And um, so I went and had a lesson and found that I was like half decent at it. And the teacher was very encouraging. And so I started pursuing that and I started learning all the basics. Like I didn't know the notes on the piano. So I'm like a 19 year old construction working kid. And so I started learning the basics, you know, notes on the piano and how to sing and music theory and like all this, you know, all this stuff, the history of music. Wow. And uh, so flash forward, I got my degree and uh, I got the, the opportunity to go and sing in Europe. And so I sang in Germany and France, in Italy, uh, I sang in the Czech Republic for a few months. Uh, I went and sang in China, in Beijing and Chengdu. Uh, the Royal Conservatory uh, of Beijing was pretty awesome. Wow. Uh, sang here in, in New York and uh, Toronto, Vancouver, like kind of sang all over the place. Yeah. Um, and kind of, you know, dipped my toes in the water and realized that it, the career, like I loved the art. I loved creating. Yeah. But I realized that the career wasn't fulfilling for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't imagine myself being 40 and living out of a suitcase making, you know, 50, 60 K a year and trying to provide for my family on that. Yeah. And, and I had a, I had a mentor at the time. His name was Bernard Turgeon. He was like, he was like my, I called him my little white Yoda. He was like five foot two and he had, he's 82 years old. He's big jowls hanging down from the side of his face. <laughs> and he said, you know, Connor, if you can, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, anything else in the world, just go do it because this profession is for the people 
that can't picture themselves doing anything else in the world. Mm. And I could see myself doing and being happy and maybe even happier with so many other things. And so I left, I left that career and I took two years off from kind of everything to just study human psychology and human behavior mm. and really immerse myself in everything that Carl Jung had ever written yeah. and really kind of let my curiosity uh, unravel on, on how like the inner workings of, of human beings. Yeah. Um, which led me to a whole bunch of other things, but yeah. That's amazing. So where did you go from there? Uh, you got a, did you, you moved to New York. <laughs> <laughs> You're here now. So. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up, uh, after, after two years that I was living in Vancouver at the time, after two years, I set two goals. One was to learn more about business from the best in business. Mm -hmm. And so in my perception, that was Apple. And so I went and got a job at Apple and very quickly moved up through the ranks to the point where I was overseeing the Vancouver market. Oh, wow. So I was overseeing a couple hundred million dollars worth of business for them. Um, so I was doing kind of like B2C, but also B2B, doing you know clients and running teams, sales teams, operations teams, uh, working with uh, business to business people, doing enterprise level sales, that kind of stuff. And so that really, that really gave me sort of like my degree in business and what it meant to run a good business and have great teams and, you know, like what quote unquote millennials were looking for in the workplace and yeah. the whole, the whole gamut, right? right? Like I really got immersed in it. And, uh, and my second goal was to start my own business and that ended up becoming Mantox, um, sort of inadvertently. Yeah. I, I started it to just raise some money for some charities in Vancouver and, uh, it just kind of took off over the, over the course of a year and a half. So there was a year and a half where I was working at Apple, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. And yeah. then in my spare time, you know, 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week, I was spare time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. AKA there was, there was a while there that I like literally had no life. It was just, yeah. it was just hustle and side hustle. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, there's a lesson to be learned and a lesson for people to hear there is you, if you want to make it in a entrepreneurship or creativity or any sort of uh, business where you work for yourself, you have to work full time, make the money while you can pay the bills to hustle on the side. So what, what kind of things did you learn from doing that simultaneously? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really interesting because I've always kind of been in the personal development side of things. And you always hear, you know, that like one of my one of the quotes that I hate the most is leap and the net will appear. Like it'll just like <laughs> magically show up. Right. And so, so many people, they, they cut the cord and they had this idea that, you know, by burning the boats, it's a great thing, mm -hmm. but you have to, you have to build the boats to get somewhere first before you can burn them. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the times people cut themselves short by just being like, I'm sick of this job or I don't want to be in this job, or I really want to start, you know, my own creative endeavor, my own company. And they, and they leap too soon. They haven't built themselves a parachute yet. Yeah. And so they fall flat. And that's why, you know, seven or eight out of 10 businesses will fail. But the people that have a side hustle, the people that start to build their dream in reality, that start to bring their dream into reality while they're working full time are seven times more likely to be successful. Wow. Right? That's huge. So, so it, it's just a matter of putting yourself in a place. And this is what I found was that by putting myself in a place where I could be not worried 
about like that scarce scarcity mentality coming in yeah. and you know being worried about how it's going to pay the bills or you know the mortgage or the you know the car like all those things that come with adulting yeah. right <laughs> by taking care of those things i found that i could create and manifest on a whole different level, mm. right? Because I wasn't in this, like, you know, some people would call it a lower vibration. Some people will call it, depends on the spiritual lingo. Some people will just call it the, the ability to create or uh, to build, whatever, whatever verbiage you want to use. It really was this case where I found that I was way more free to work in the way that I needed to work in order to succeed. And so that's what I always recommend to people is build your runway. If you want to take off, build your runway yeah otherwise you're just going to fly your plane into the trees and, and nobody <laughs> wants that you know like we all want you to like we all want to see you win and succeed yeah absolutely no and i think and i've always been of the mindset just jump and weave the parachute but realizing this recently and that just like that's like such a great reminder and it almost i mean for me it's a new perspective um within that like how did you when you were working at apple 50 60 hours a week and then putting another 30 <laughs> hours into your side hustle. Like what gave you the energy? Like what, you know, a, what gave you the energy to, to be able to do that on the side? And then what would you, what advice would you give to others in that situation? Mm. Yeah. So I think I would just preface this with, you know, <clears throat> there is some merit to leaping from a creative sense, you mm -hmm. know, like at some point you have to take the leap to start the creation process process yeah right whether that's becoming a photographer or an artist or starting your own business or creating your own product or your mvp or minimum viable product whatever it is you need to start somewhere and that it kind of does feel like a leap yeah. you know because you're, you're going somewhere you know in the words of star trek you're going somewhere you've never gone before right and so you're 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 really leaping into this unknown and our brain hates the unknown it hates anything that's uncertain yeah and so i want to avoid that um but for me there was, there's a great, is a Japanese word called ikigai and ikigai <laughs> translate in, in, into uh, your reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Mm. And I think that once you start to find that ikigai, that reason for getting out of bed in the morning, you, your energy just starts to shift and you start to make choices and decisions that align with you, with you succeeding towards your endeavor. Right. Mm -hmm. So once you start to find that, like once I tapped into to man talks and the reason why it was so important to me and the reason, you know, I started seeing the results that other people were getting, I really found this energy that I, I hadn't had in a while. You yeah. know, like if we're if we're purposeless, if we're you know, we are we feel like our life has no meaning, we really are a ship without a rudder, without a sail. Yeah. And so maybe we've got some momentum, some steam, but because we've got no rudder, we're just going around in circles. Right. Yeah. And so we're taking constant action. It feels like we're doing a lot, but we're just going around in circles. We're not actually accomplishing anything. Mm. And on the other side of that, some people feel like they have no motivation. Yeah. And so they're looking for the motivation to get started. But once we tap into that ikigai, it kind of it does both. It aligns the action with direction. And so all of a sudden we're starting to move in a direction where we're not only seeing results, but the results that we give a shit about, right? Yeah. Can I swear on your podcast? Yeah. Okay, cool. Say what you want. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so there's that. And then, you know, the biggest piece that I would say is, is not time management, like screw time management. Stop, stop worrying so much about time management and start priority managing. 
right? So there was a good year and a, you know, year, year and a half in there where my priority really was growing this organization and seeing what it could turn into. It wasn't going out. It wasn't going out Fridays and Saturdays and, you know, spending time at the beach on Saturdays and Sundays. And like, it just, it, that wasn't my priority. There really was a time where I was consciously sacrificing some of those things mm. and, and really because I think that a lot of people think that it's a priority, like it's like that they have to do it, yeah. but they're not consciously choosing it. And so resentment starts to build and they mm-hmm. see their friends having fun and going out and, you know, partying on Friday and Saturday nights or, you know, going to do the Game of Thrones parties on Sunday nights, like whatever that looks like. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they start to have resentment towards their craft, towards their, their business, whatever mm-hmm. they're building. And, and if we don't make that choice consciously, it really can be a hindrance. So I really made the conscious choice of, I know that this is going to be tough. It's going to take a lot of me. And I consciously choose to make these things a priority. And so I started to create a, a, a weekly list of what's my priority this week. You know, what's my number one priority this week? What's my number one priority this quarter? What's my number one priority this year? Yeah. And and that really helped to bring everything into alignment and created like this filter where I could say, that's not a priority. That's not a priority. That's not a priority. Mm. And, and that helped me take a lot of action and really, yeah, get what I needed to get done. And then yeah. there's the obvious stuff, right? Like not eating McDonald's every day, you know, like <laughs> don't, don't put, don't put garbage in your body and expect yourself to be able to work 12, 14, 16 hours a day. Yeah. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Like you're yeah. going to be miserable no matter what. So it's, it's literally food is fuel. So you have to put healthy stuff in your body. Otherwise it's just going to fall apart. Totally. I mean, self-care I think is the most important thing you can actually ever do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely huge. And I, I stress that no matter what industry you're in, whether you're a creative, whether you are a, you know, executive, a company, whether you work in nine to five, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll jump a little bit more into that in, in just a second, but just for those people that don't know what man talks is i'd love to hear from you a what your vision and your purpose is with it and then b what is like the business of it yeah so we actually worked with um a consulting organization out of vancouver who has worked as a with a larger conglomerate of of consultants for facebook and tesla on their like five-year business plan to really help define what we wanted to do and Mm -hmm. like what we were doing because initially it just started off as like this quote unquote passion project, right? Yeah. Where we were doing good and we were helping people, et cetera, et cetera. But just to sort of like distill it down, what we do is we help develop self-aware, high-performing and impactful men in the world. Mm. And we do that because we want to help develop better fathers, better husbands, better leaders, people that take a stand for equality, people that are showing up for their wives, for their sons that are role models. And, um, you know, for me, the the real reason behind it, like the real vision for it is that I, you know, I kind of want, I kind of envision the day where we, you know, I can interact with both men and women and not hear the like, you know, men are the problem and men are broken and like all this kind of stuff. Cause there, there are some really sad facts that, you know, a lot of men face right now. Yeah. And the reality is, is that a lot of women are, you know, have been abused, have been hurt um, by men. And, and we need to take a stand for that. We need to actually do something about it. We can't just sit idly by and say like, okay, guys are struggling. They should just figure it out. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of shitty. You know, if I, as you know, even though we've only met this, you know, today and talked a couple of times, I would not feel good about myself if you are struggling 
And I was like, yeah, you know what? These are the ways in which you're struggling. These are the ways in which you've identified being broken. Like, go figure it out. Yeah. That would kind of suck. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so for me, like, we really, um, we're, we're really committed to help developing and building better men. And how we do that is through events and through groups. And so our events, I like to have been described, you know, through media as uh, TED Talks meets Oprah Winfrey, but for guys. Yeah. And so <laughs> that kind of paints like a very unique picture. Um, but all of our events, um, uh, all of our mainstream events are open to men and women. And yeah. we have women come and talk. We have guys come and talk. And it's very autobiographical. Mm. So we have guys come out and they share in 20 minutes their life, sort of like their life story and their yeah. defining moments. And through those defining moments, a lot of things happen. One, other men get to understand that they're not alone in some of their suffering. Right, whether they were physically abused or sexually abused, or you know they had a complete failure, rock bottom moment in their life, yeah. they get to see that they're not alone in that. Uh, women get to see behind the sort of like man mask, the man curtain mm -hmm. that a lot of us have up, so they get to see like their their real struggles that a lot of guys are going through, and and we get to learn through other men's vulnerabilities. You know, like yeah. there's there's so much power in that. But because of how most men are raised, vulnerability is really like from our perception, often like kryptonite. Right. And so we avoid it at all costs. Anything that could possibly make us even per be perceived as being vulnerable is like not talked about. Yeah. So yeah. that's sort of in a nutshell what yeah, we do. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. <laughs> that, was, that, was a longer, that was a longer answer than I expected, sorry. <laughs> no, that was great. And I think, I think a lot of people could benefit from this, men and women. And I, you know, I think I wanna, there's so many places I want to go and just and chat about here. But like, since we were just on that topic, that's been something on my mind is vulnerability, right? Vulnerability with men, hmm. especially. I'm sure you probably read Darren Greatly with, uh, with Brene. Absolutely. And uh, there's a section in there where she talks about how vulnerability for men is often seen as weakness. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that idea because I've teetered this in even the, the, the last relationship that I was just in. It's just like, how do you be vulnerable but still be that pillar for your woman? Yeah, this is, this is something that I guess, you know, I get asked about a lot. And there's, there's something called embodied masculinity, right? And this, or integrated masculinity. And it's being able to integrate these different parts of ourselves, mm. right? So we all have, we all have these different parts within us. We've got, you know, our happy parts, we've got our wounded parts, we've got our shadow parts that we often don't want to see. And embodied masculinity is really about being conscious it's really about being extremely present in the moment to everything that's going on. Not just everything that you think, but everything that you feel. And this is where a lot of, there's a great quote, and I'm blanking on who said it, um, but it, the, the longest journey a man will ever take is the 18 inches from his head to his heart. Mm. And I really fundamentally believe that that is the journey that so many men need to go on. That is the hero's journey. In yeah. a lot of ways, it's, it's a man getting out of this like heady space and starting to drop into what, what actually matters to him, yeah. you know, like what is meaningful to me? What gives my life purpose and meaning? And in, just to circle back to your question of, you know, how do we be vulnerable within partnership and, you know, should we be vulnerable and how does that show up? First and foremost, I think it's important to note that we, we need to be with somebody who can meet 
us in that vulnerability. Mm. So if we're dating somebody, because I think the common misconception is that women are just innately vulnerable, which isn't true. You know, some of, some of them have been hurt or abused in the past, or they've been in past relationships that have left them closed off. And so they, they can't meet a man's vulnerability. It, it's confronting. And I've spoken to a lot of women about this. It's confronting for a lot of women to meet a man when he's being very vulnerable, right? Mm. When he's opening up and showing these different parts of himself. Yeah. So I think that um, our, our job is to find a partner who can meet us in that space. And then we can, we can start to sink into our, our feelings and emotions. Yeah. And the access point for that, for so many men, and this might sound counterintuitive, is anger. And so many men are disconnected from their anger in a really unhealthy way. And I'm just going to make the distinction that there, there is a difference between anger and aggression. Everybody has anger. Anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Anger is a healthy emotion, emotion just like joy and, you know, sad. Yeah. Not that sadness is a healthy emotion, yeah. but it's, it's on the spectrum. Aggression is where it starts to turn um, detrimental, where aggression is destructive, right? Aggression is usually it's directed at, at somebody or at ourselves. And there is a line between anger and aggression, right? And you can hear the line very clearly in people's communication. Anger is self-expressed. It's like, I'm angry about this. I'm experiencing anger about this situation, about what's going on at work, about what's going on in our relationship. Aggression is, you did this, and now I'm mad at you because of it, and I'm going to take it out on you for it. And that's kind of the line. So a lot of guys need to start to tap into what they're you know, what's going on in their body in yeah. terms of anger, because that is often the access point for them to really dig into the sadness that might be there. Mm. You know, that that's the access point for them to dig into the childhood wounding that might have happened or the abuse that might have happened as a kid. And, and so once we can start to tap into that, we can really vulnerably show up because it's easier for as a man, it's easier for us to say, I feel anger about this situation than it is to say i feel vulnerable about this situation mm. or i feel really sad about this situation yeah so we just need to start practicing the the sort of like muscle building somewhere yeah. and where that usually starts for men is around anger yeah absolutely well i can i definitely resonate with that i mean i grew up in a I grew up in a home where anger was very suppressed it mm. was very it almost wasn't allowed necessarily or known how to de deal with and so i can definitely resonate with that mm. For sure. Now let's jump into, I guess the like, let's talk about the creative journey, the peak performance of creativity. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure you probably can go back to your opera days and, and think of, um, what that took from you mentally, your, what your mental game was or had to be to perform creatively and to, and to, uh, experience that. So, I mean, let's go back there and what were some of the things that the mindsets that you had to have to perform at a top level in, in opera? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that everybody should start with uh, Carol Dweck's work, Mindset, the book Mindset, mm -hmm. um, and just start to understand the sort of fundamentals around a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Because once we, once we understand those, we can understand parts of our creative process. Um, some of the things that were really important for me and that I've seen that, you know, I work with a lot of people on now is in and around being able to understand what peak performance means for us as individuals. Mm. Um, because I think that a lot of people, you know, they read the four hour work week or the four hour body and they are trying to fit 
their creativity into somebody else's process, right? So they basically see somebody else's puzzle and they're trying to put their pieces into somebody else's puzzle mm. and, and their pieces might not work the same way. Right. So what, what allows you to get into a flow state might not work for me. It might frustrate the hell out of me. Right. Yeah. And, and so what I would say is for the, for the listeners that are out there, first and foremost, start researching really great people, like people who kick ass in their field. If you're an entrepreneur and you're a CEO, you know, go find the best CEOs in the world, the, the Mark Bezos, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Steve Jobs, see what they did really, really well. Like how did they function? Steve Jobs, he, he had a big proponent of meditation. You know, he's a very, he was actually an extremely spiritual guy. Yeah. And so start to research what those people do and use trial and error. You know, like I really, I spent years just kind of like fiddling with different things. Does meditation in the morning work for me? Or does it work at night? Does, you know, being able to meditate during the day work for me? Or, you know, like, what do I actually need? Do I need to work out in the morning or the evening or the afternoon? Like what allows my fuel to, to continue to like get lit, you know? Yeah. Um, so some of those things for me, meditation is a huge, huge part. Yeah. It, I think everybody, I fundamentally believe that everybody should meditate. Yeah. And and not just when it's easy and not just when it's comfortable, but when you feel the most adversity to it. Mm. And so I always encourage people to find those moments. And if you already have, this is, this is helpful if you already have uh, a meditation practice. If you're like, if you've never meditated in your life before, maybe don't start here. <laughs> this, is more, this is more like we're going into like the intermediate or advanced space, but find those moments where like you especially like in partnership. I, I believe that partnership is like the, the biggest um, transformative avenue that we, that we have as human beings to transform ourselves. There's just something about it. But find those moments where you are so frustrated with your partner because nothing pisses us off quite like the people that we love. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing does. And so find those moments and, and pause in those moments and say, you know what? I think we should just both take five minutes and then go sit go sit in silence and actually meditate in that space and notice the just complete chaos that is happening in your body mm. and start to try and find a sense of peace there. One of my favorite words is equanimity and it means balance in the face of chaos. Wow. And if we can start to cultivate that, that is peak performance because peak performance isn't about you know, most of the time, it's not about these really explosive moments of ultimate creativity or ultimate expression or anything like that. It is a culmination of consistently day in and day out practicing what, what we want to be great at. Yeah. And so like you didn't, you didn't just wake up and all of a sudden become an amazing photographer. Like right. that, that's not what happened. It took <laughs> countless hours, right. And consistently figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and lighting and setting up different situations and moving people's head and just their chin, just like a yeah. millimeter to the left. Right. Yeah. Like it's stuff like that. And so, so understand that, that high performance isn't created in an instant, right. It's not like the big bang, although we all want it to be like that. We all just want to be creative. Yeah. We need to find the things that, that allow us to be consistently great. Yeah. And so, um, going back meditation, I would say is one of the biggest components and allowing that space, allowing that meditative space to be something that you, that you use for reflection and rumination, you yeah. know, what allows me, that's where I really find what allows me to perform at my best is in those spaces. So when I was singing, I would, I would actually do that. You know, I would go and practice for four or five hours straight and I would go sing 
And there would be times where I would practice for 30 minutes and then I would sit and I would meditate and I would sort of replay everything that just happened. And I'd say, okay, what worked? What didn't work? Where was I tense? What did I feel in my body? What was actually happening? You know, and actually going through that whole process again. And that sort of like play by play, that replay really helped me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that a lot of people can benefit from tapping into that. Absolutely. So what kind of meditation have you been doing? I've tried a little bit of everything, you know, transcendental to Zazen meditation. I, I like the Zazen meditation. Zazen is like the traditional Buddhist meditation where you sit in full lotus, although my hips are super tight, so I can't, <laughs> I can't do that um, all those years of hockey. Yeah. Um, but basically, you sit cross-legged and you just follow your breath mm. and you allow the thoughts to sort of come and go and and you just follow the breath, whatever wherever it takes you. I, I like to sort of start there. And then I like to do a, a little bit of a body scan and start to really, really drop into the body yeah. and start to see what I experience. You know, drop like right in, especially for the for the guys listening to the podcast. Like, drop right into your pelvic floor and start from there. Like, right, right where your right where your butt is. Yeah. Um, just above there, the, in the spiritual word, it's the first chakra, right? Yeah. And start there and start to just sort of feel everything expand out from there and really get in touch with that. And then move up the ladder, up your torso and start to feel everything. Where do you feel tension? Where do you feel heat? You know, where, where does it not feel alive? What are you not in touch with? Yeah. And, and just really start to like feel your entire body because so many people are living not just in terms of thoughts, but in terms of feeling in their head. And so when they feel anything, joy, sorrow, happiness, sadness, anger, fear, whatever, it all happens in their head because yeah. they're so out of touch with their body. And the more that we can drop into that space, the, the more that we'll be connected to our entirety, our wholeness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I realize that about myself a lot too, but it's, I think accessing creativity and flow really comes from being in your body mm. and not in your head. I mean, I find myself in my head all the time <laughs> and like what, what kind of, I mean, besides this type of meditation, what other kind of things do you, if you have any advice or practices for, for creatives to drop from their head into their heart and into flow um, I, and to get into that creative state? I definitely do. Um, I spent a lot of time on this one. I, I call it analysis paralysis, where you're just like you're so, you just can't stop analyzing things every day. <laughs> every, this is like this is like hashtag my life. Um, so I I used to be this like hyper analytical person, and I just couldn't seem to take action on anything because I would just analyze every situation. Like, yeah, I just didn't even know where to start. Um, one of the biggest pieces that I found that is super super helpful. And I recommend this to a lot of people, creatives and, you know, CEOs, the whole thing is find a really relaxing track, music track. And there's been a lot of study and research on this that shows that if you play the same track on repeat over and over and over and over and over again, as you are working, it will put, it actually calms your brainwaves down. It'll put you into a different state. Mm. And it's kind of like a, um, I don't want to say a hack but it really allows your brain to just sort of get into this groove and stop thinking about all, you know, the change in music because the change in music often pulls our attention. Mm. And, and there's something called attention residue, 
right? So every time that we, let's say we're, you're, you're working, right? And you are editing photos and you have the notifications on your computer turned on. So you're editing photos and all of a sudden a text message comes in and you look at the text message and you read it and you open it up and you respond to that text message and you put that away. Well, there is a time period where your focus is going to, part of your focus is still going to be on that text message. Mm. So you're going to have this like split focus from the creative process to, you know, whatever you were talking about with somebody. And so, and this is something that Cal Newport talks about in deep work. So our responsibility are, if we really want to get into the creative process and stop being so analytical is to start removing some of these barriers. So turn off your notifications, like first and foremost, Turn them off. Turn them off on your computer. Turn them off on your cell phone. It really is the biggest game changer. I don't have yeah. any notifications on on anything anymore because it drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> and and I'll turn I'll turn them on in very specific times. Yeah. But if I'm going to go and be creative and try and like write a speech, for example, or build a keynote or a pitch deck, I will turn off all notifications. I'll actually put my phone my phone and my computer on airplane mode, um, and that will help you get into a different space. So that's first and foremost. And, and secondly, start to find tracks, music tracks that you can play on repeat that will sort of like hack your, your brain and your system mm. to find this groove that you can kind of get into because then it can start to relax. It'll hear this ambient noise and it'll start to relax. It doesn't have to worry about what song's going to come on next or what the lyrics are to this song or, you know, whatever. It can just sort of start to like settle into this space. It's very meditative in a way. Um, I usually say for people that are singers, do not listen to music that, if you're trying to work, do not listen to music that have lyrics in it. Mm. Um, what I've found is that for most singers, when they listen to tracks that have lyrics in them, it, it pulls their attention away. So I, I cannot listen for the life of me. If I'm writing or creating an email, <laughs> I can't listen to tracks that have lyrics in them. Oh, wow. And some instrumentalists have the opposite problem. So some instrumentalists, let's say they play the violin or the piano, um, or if you played an instrument as a kid, when you're listening to a track, if it has that instrument in it that you grew up playing, it will pull some of your attention there because your brain is so used to and conditioned to listen to what that instrument is doing or what the artist is doing that it'll split your focus. Yeah. So this is where understanding your background and your past is extremely important because you can start to find those, those subtle not hacks, but you know, ways of being that allow you to perform at your best. Yeah. So find those tracks, put them on repeat and, and just go for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Have you ever used uh, binaural beats? Yeah. Yeah. They're really good too. Yeah. yeah. That'll get you in a good space. There's a great album that Moby just released last year. Oh. Um, that's just, it's a meditation album and like each song is like 25 minutes and wow. it is incredible. I like, I just, Whenever I want to get like real work done, like serious work, <laughs> that's what goes on, especially on airplanes. I don't know why, but I love working there. Yeah. 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 And then, and then environment, the last piece I want to say yeah. is just set your environment up. This is again, like building your runway, set your environment up to help you succeed. So if you know that you get, feel a lot of anxiety in your body when your space is cluttered, then make sure that you clean up, like take that five minutes to clean up before you start working yeah. because it's just going to distract you. And we have so many distractions in this day and age that that's actually what's 
crushing most people's productivity. It's yeah. not shitty time management. It's not even shitty priority management. It's that people don't know how to perform properly right. when they do sit down to work. So clear out your environment depending on how you like to work. Some people like highly creative sometimes they like that clutter it helps them you know they can sort of like blind it out like einstein there's a great photo of his desk and his his office when he died it's just a disaster like it looks like a hurricane went through there you yeah. know but that was his creative expression that was his creative process yeah. so find what that is that works for you and then own it like claim it and yeah. be don't even don't even worry about apologizing when your space is a shit show when people come over if that's what helps you feel at home yeah yeah i love that now that that that's, i love i love that idea what about for people that are uh you know say like me who's a photographer anybody else who has like more of a performance art where you're i wouldn't say it's not for your performance but you almost have to access a space of creativity and then go out and shoot, especially if I'm on set and I'm working with people and things like that. It's not necessarily a meditative mm. type of art. Do you have any, um, any thoughts on actually getting into that zone or things that you can do, whether it's like, um, you know, state change type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, so kind of like public speakers, right? Because like they're going to always be speaking in different spaces. The environment's never going to be the same. <laughs> the crowd's never going to be the same. Um, yeah, I mean, photographers are never going to be shooting in the same space. There there are a few things that you can start to tune into. Again, this is like the, the mindset component, right? So no, and this is where being able to drop in your body is so important. Yeah. This is something that Tony Robbins talks about a lot. I mean, you could do the whole NLP thing and, you know, the snap your fingers and create the state. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how much I like, like I've, I've gone deep down the NLP rabbit hole before. Yeah. And while some of it is great, um, NLP stands for neuro linguistics programming, just in case there are people who aren't familiar with it. But while some of that stuff is great, I think it's more about really paying attention to what our body is telling us, you know? And our body is the greatest indicator. So, you know, if, if we are going to be going to shoot in a space that we've never been before, or if we're going to go speak on stage in front of an audience of 500 people that we've never met before, we need to make sure that we feel completely comfortable and at ease. Yeah. And, and being able to understand what that feels like is one of the most important pieces. Like when I was singing, uh, you know, I was never singing in a comfortable, like a space that I was really familiar with, right? Yeah. Like going to China and singing in front of people that I couldn't speak their language. And there's a thousand of them in the conservatory, you know, like that, that's nerve wracking. Yeah. And so you have to be able to find a sense of home within yourself so that you take wherever you go. Yeah. And that is the real key to creativity out in the everyday world. You know, people that can bring their creativity with them that isn't hindered by, I have to be in my apartment and it needs to be 70 degrees, right. you know, Fahrenheit and this track has to be playing and otherwise I can't function, right? Yeah. Um, like I know a lot of artists that, that have that type of, not neuroses, but like set of parameters in order to get into their flow state. But for me, flow is really about finding that home within our body where we yeah. feel comfortable. And that's, that's where the meditation, that's where the awareness starts yeah. to like really come in. So we can start to identify. Um, you can bring things, you can have, you know, maybe you, maybe you meditate with something yeah. that really helps you feel calm. And whether it's a stone or um, like I, I used to sing with somebody that had this like keychain. Yeah. 
and they would meditate with it every single day. And then when they went and performed, they would hold on to it before they went on stage. Or if they were singing a concert, they would actually have it in their pocket. And so in between each song or each aria, they would put their hand in their pocket and they would touch it. And that would sort of help them bring back that, that same space, that same feeling within their body. Mm. But um, no matter what you do, it's still about that feeling in the body of yeah. feeling centered, grounded and calm. Yeah, I like that. It's almost like creating something that gives you a grounding that you can like go back to every time. Yeah. And and if nothing else, start with the breath. You know, like mm. one of one of the biggest things that that, you know, if if you were to take away anything is that so many people are disconnected with this life-giving process that's happening. You know, even just like if the listeners are listening, just breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. And you just automatically feel a little bit more relaxed. You know, yeah. it's just like this magical little cycle that happens. And so if we can keep coming back to the breath, yep. um, that can really help our process, if, especially if we are uh, anxious creatives. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess fear and anxiety is so huge, I would say, in the in today's world of I mean, fear and just even getting out there and creating, but then, you know, say you have a performance job or whatever, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, battling those fears in your mind so you can get to a present space. Yeah. So you can create. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe you need to look at the environment before, you know, a lot of speakers, a lot of public speakers, like I do this all the time is I will always show up early so I can check out the space. I can get a feel for what it's going to, to look like when I'm on stage. And I'll walk out on stage and just kind of get a feel for like where the audience will be. And then I, and then I use a visioning process to like really help myself. I run through my talk and I envision it whilst being on stage. And so that really gives me a clear picture of what's it going to feel like for me to be on that particular stage in front of that specific audience, you know, of however, a thousand, two thousand people. 504 people, however many it is, <laughs> what's it going to feel like to be in front of them and, and just, you know, envisioning yourself doing that. And so you can do that as a photographer, as a performance artist, as a dancer, you know, like get to know the environment that you are going to be performing. And that's, that's so important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I mean, when we do photo shoots, we're always like scouting each location ahead of time on, on, a, on the bigger shoots. Sometimes we're just like running around shooting stuff, but yeah, that makes, that's, that's great. That makes total sense. Yeah. So now let's talk about, so what, what are three of your top favorite books right Ooh. now? Uh, three of my top favorite books. So uh, a classic for me is a book called awareness mm. by Anthony DeMello. And I've probably read this book over the course of the last year and a half, like maybe six times. And he dives into a few principles, but he, he was actually um, basically a priest. Mm. He was born in India. He was educated in, in the UK. And he basically did sermons, you know, sort of all over the, all over the world. But he doesn't, the book's not actually uh, religiously based on anything. It's not, it's really kind of like non-secular. But he talks about how awareness is really the key to everything, right? And yeah. Alan Watts has this great quote. He says, uh, you know, what if you can't change, right? What if, what if there's nothing that you can do? I, I, I'll, I'll try, I'll try. <laughs> what if you are the way you are and there's simply nothing you can do about it? <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my horrible attempt at Alan Watts. I love it. But, love it. but what if you can't do anything about it? What's left but to observe, but yeah. to just be aware 
of everything that's happening in you and outside of you. And so this whole book is basically about that principle of cultivating awareness and how powerful that can be in our lives. So that's number one. Um, number two is actually by Alan Watts. It's called The Wisdom of Insecurities. Mm. And it's just as the title says, especially what our insecurities have to teach us yeah. and how we can integrate these insecurities. Um, and the third book, oh man, um, <laughs> there's the, the third book. I mean, I like th- this one's probably, can I give two? <laughs> you can give as many as you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so there's a book by Carl Jung called Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. Mm. Really, really great book. It's one of his, his less lesser known works, but really good nonetheless. Um, and then the last book, which is kind of dry, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna BS about it. It's kind of a dry read. Uh, is is called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. Okay. And it's an older book, but he kind of looks at all of the psychologists and, and basically like the foundation of psychology. And he talks about how human beings, as human beings, we are trying so diligently to deny death in so many ways. Like we set up our lives in this sort of existential way to try and avoid that death either even exists or that death is going to one day come for us. And, and how, you know, we become leaders and we create these projects and, you know, we, we, we build businesses in this endeavor to try and create this legacy that will supersede us or yeah, come after us. Right. And, and, and live on past us. So, uh, a really, really cool book. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's like, have you read Homo Deus? I haven't yet. Sapiens. Yeah. 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 I haven't yet probably one of my top favorite books, but he talk. they talk about a lot how we as a human race, everybody's trying to cheat death. Now we're yeah. trying to like come up with all these different technologies to be able to live forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not that far away, you know, with the advancements of artificial intelligence and biotech, like we, we the, Ray Kurzweil thinks that within the next 40 to 50 years, we'll be able to create parts for our body, basically ending death entirely. So, I mean, it seems out there, but when you were a kid, would you have guessed that an electric self-driving car would exist by the time that you are this age right now? No. Right. No. I wouldn't have either. Right. So it's just like this really interesting uh, sort of like catch 22 where we, we really are almost like on this cusp of everything changing, you know, like our kids might never get a driver's license. Because self-driving cars will advance to the point where they, you know, Uber will just be self-driving. Nobody will need to buy a car. You can just rent a car and drive for wherever you need to drive. And yeah. you just sit in the back and you never need a driver's license. Like, <laughs> that blows my mind. It totally You know? Does. I'm like, I mean, I would never want to do that because I love driving. But Yeah. Yeah. No, it blows my mind. I can't. The technology and the curve of technology and how it's growing exponentially. Yeah year by year is is crazy yeah like i never want to be that old guy that walks into an apple store and it's like how does wi-fi you know how does wi-fi work or whatever equivalent of that will be in sort of like 40 years time (laughs) it's interesting i this is going i'll just touch on this really quick but if you've you've read wait but why right yeah yeah yeah, Yeah, absolutely his uh article on the fermi paradox yeah where he talks about how the exponential growth of of uh technology and how it's integration with humanity and and all this and how there's other planets 
out there that are Earth-like. And imagine if they were like three billion years further along than us, like what kind of technology would they have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about. Uh, <laughs> Tim Tim Urban from Wait But Why. There's a guy you should interview. Yeah, I would love to interview him. We had him on the Man Talks podcast. Oh, you did? He was crazy. Like right after his TED Talk, he was it was nuts. Like we talked about Elon Musk and Tesla and <laughs> all that. Like I I nerd out hard on that, you know. So <laughs> oh my God. We can do a whole nother talk, like podcast on that. Stuff. But he's he's got a great article on WaitButWhy.com about the Fermi paradox that basically yep. like unravels the whole thing and explains it and. I mean, yeah. I think my my brain melted after reading that. Yeah, I, he's he's got this like two part series. I know we're like going off on a different, area, but he's got this two part series about artificial intelligence. Yep. It's really I find yep. you know what I find about creative people is that their creativity is so uh, inextricably linked to curiosity. You know, in so many ways, it's like people always ask me like, "Oh, how could you leave singing? How could you not be an opera singer anymore?" And it's like, well, that that part of me is still here yeah and and it still shows up in everything that i do every single day yeah it's just this like unquenchable curiosity Mm. for everything yeah you know that's what drives me that's what that's what like really like motivates every part of my life and that curiosity can be fed in so many different ways it's not just through singing you know, I can I can have that curiosity fed in these all, all these different ways. But anyway, yeah. there's some there's some great articles. On so how that that's great <laughs> thing to unpack is how do you fuel your your curiosity? Yeah. So I, I think that it's it's really by looking in different areas. You know, I think that so what I've experienced is that so often we become curious about one specific thing. And we miss out on so so many other avenues. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't try and master something, right? That mm-hmm. we shouldn't try and hone in on a craft that is our own. Like for me, that's public speaking. I I have taken my my art of singing and and singing classical music, and it has been transformed into me stepping on stage and and doing public talks. Wow. I love it now. Yeah. Right. But how I feed my creativity is not just by like diving so deep down that rabbit hole that I don't look down any other paths to sort of ignite that creativity. Because I, I find that I'm so curious that, that that same curiosity that makes me curious about how do I build a speech or give a talk in such a way on stage that it can, it can evoke this emotion in people that they normally wouldn't experience. Yeah. That that's one avenue, but I can find fuel for that and the curiosity for that in so many different areas, like researching AI and the different types of artificial intelligence and how that can transform our world. Like that is that that part is still fed by these different avenues. And once we can start to pool that in, we have a much larger subset to pull from. And I think that a lot of people in, in the creative realm, and I saw this in opera, like I I felt so like stilted there, you know, like there was just this one path and it all happened in the past and the future was really hard to see because it was all based off of an art form that was two or 300 years old. And I was singing stuff from, you know, Mozart and Verdi and, you know, singing Don Giovanni and stuff like that. And it was just like, there was just one Avenue and, and bringing in these other, um, curiosities is what creates something unique even based off of past projects so you look at revamps of like um uh wagner's the ring cycle that they just did here at the metropolitan opera that was incredible because of somebody's 
curiosity about technology and integrating technology into how they could build a stage. And so they built this incredible raked stage that had m different moving parts that could move independently. And it, cr it basically revolutionized the way that an opera was done, yeah. right? And, and they, they took an old concept, used new ideas and revamped it. Yeah. And I think that the more that we can look outside of our normal veins, our normal avenues or paths, for some of that creative and, and curious spark and we can get curious about other people's ideas and concepts and opinions and 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 processes the more that we have to pull from yeah 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 i feel like the more you can learn and experience in other avenues than your craft you can pull that into your craft a hundred percent absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. i love that um so, such a good like insight into i mean you as an as a speaker you know, that's your art. Yeah. Like speaking is an art. Um, I just, I was just, uh, at Sean Stevenson's event this last weekend. And that dude is like, his speaking is like on a whole nother level and he just channels. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. So, I mean, definitely I could see the art in it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great. Uh, have you ever read the book, uh, letting go? Uh, sounds familiar. I'm not too sure if I've dove into it though. I think you'd probably like it. I just started it and it's like incredible, but it's really about the idea of surrendering to, or just like, it's, it's the idea of surrender, which I don't know if that's a, a big part of what you mm. have kind of read about and talked about, but, uh, it, like surrendering into the universe to access flow mm. and to let your, let your art and creativity flow. Yeah, there's there's another book. It sounds very similar called the Surrender Experiment, oh. and it's a yeah. It sounds very very similar. And that that book actually like fundamentally changed the way that I operate on many levels. Like we were talking about analysis paralysis before. Yeah, the Surrender yeah. Experiment kind of went like very counter counter to that. Yeah, it's like ah oh, maybe there's merit in just allowing some of these things to happen. Like still having yeah. it's it's this weird balance where we need to have a sense of direction. Yeah. And simultaneously allowing things to uh, come into our our sort of sphere, yeah. you know, and allow those things to influence us in some way. Absolutely. So, what about that book? Actually, like, what what changed within you after reading it? Uh, I think it was the how would I describe it? It was it was really going from this needing to analyze and try and predict all the outcomes of every different situation. And letting go in, in a lot of ways and surrendering to the fact that life brings us things that we often don't know that we need. Yeah. And I have a, like, for me, this, this plays into intuition. You know, for me, intuition in a lot of ways is the memory of the future. And, wow. you know, we can look at, we can remember past experiences. Like we really can, like we can recall past experiences just like they happened yesterday yeah right we can see them we can experience them we can feel them and and a lot of the times we shut ourselves off from the possibilities in the future because we're trying to predict them yeah which is theoretically impossible but we can have an intuitive sense of what's going to happen because i mean based on science based on quantum theory everything that has happened in the past and everything that's going to happen in the future is simultaneously happening right now so it wouldn't seem so far-fetched to have a memory of the future, to be able to tap into this intuitive yeah. thing that's, that's, that's going to happen. And so we cut ourselves off from that, though, 
when we don't allow our intuition to happen. And so for me, what shifted was I started to ex- I started to just allow things to unfold without without saying how is this going to impact or what's going to be the outcome if I make this choice and, and trying to predict everything that was going to happen in my life. It was exhausting. Yeah. It really was. It was tiring. And what it freed up for me was was energy, mm. was life, you know, was joy because because that same curiosity that we were talking about before where it was like learning cool things about artificial intelligence or creativity or whatever was still applicable in my own life you know i i was spending so much time trying to predict what was going to happen that i wasn't experiencing what was happening Mm. and when i started to surrender to the things that were coming into my life i started to really experience life itself you know and just be more grounded in the present moment and i think that how that turned up was that the people in my life were like something really huge has shifted in you yeah and i can't describe it and i don't know what it is and i don't know how to put it into words but i feel like you're here right now in a way that i've never experienced before yeah and that is different and and i people started to communicate like you have so much more presence Mm. in your life in your eyes and you're just standing in front of me that i can't help but want to talk to you and experience that yeah and um and so that surrender has opened up so many doors because I, especially for, I think as, as men, we try and force so much, yeah. you know, we try and use dominance and force and to just like put things into place in our lives and like shit just doesn't work like that, you yeah. know, but we try and make it work like that. And we try for decades to make it work like that until finally, you know, we've had enough and we yeah. just kind of like surrender and like let go a little bit and, and it, it can create and open up some incredible possibilities and doors for us absolutely it's kind of like a the hustle and flow idea right yeah you gotta hustle enough but let it flow at the same time yeah you can't do nothing you know like that's where i think the secret kind of fell flat it was like just (laughs) like if you know like if you believe it you can achieve it it's like yeah and you still need to go out and achieve it you know like you can't just hope that it's going to come to you like it's just going to magically right you know it's not the painting's not going to paint itself the music isn't going to create itself like you still have to do do something you still yep. have to take action absolutely yeah. absolutely well a couple more questions before we wrap up here but uh one one question i'd love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you mm, live inspiration to me means being able to uh, kind of what we were just talking about actually like being able to be present to everything that life life has to offer you know like incredible moments incredible conversations enjoying the beauty that it brings and and being able to express that i think is so important you know not not like hoarding that for yourself i think that a lot of us experience beautiful moments and and there's there's sort of two things that happens one we are so caught up in our, our past regrets or transgressions or actions that we miss out on the present or we're so caught in what we're trying to build in the future that we miss out on the present. Yeah. And I think that live and living inspiration is about not only being present to the sort of beauty that everything, you know, that life has to bring us, but, but being able to share that with people, yeah. you know, that same feeling of like, imagine like your happiest freaking moment in your life and feel the smile that that brings to your face, why can't you share that with people that you meet? You know, random, random people that are like, you know, waiters and waitresses and people working at like the gas station that you go to. And like, yeah. why can't you bring that smile, that smile from the happiest moment in your life into other people's lives? Like, 
there's power in that. You know, there's so much power in that. For me, that's living inspiration. I love that. I love that. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Well, Connor, I just acknowledge you for the difference that you're making in the world, man. You're crushing it. You're helping people out, helping men out. And uh, we, we need that as a, as a, as a society and a culture, especially in today's, today's age. So thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you, follow you on the interwebs? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just at man talks everywhere. Uh, you can go to mantalks.com, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We've got some good stuff up there. Um, if you want to follow along on my personal journey, uh, it's just at Connor Beaton, um, on Instagram or Facebook. I would love for you to reach out to me. Uh, anybody out there can hit me up, man, Connor at mantalks.com. Um, I would love to hear your biggest takeaway from the podcast and what you're going to do with it. And yeah, that'd be an honor. Amazing. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio with Connor Beaton. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, sharing it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the good things. You can also head on over to the community and join other creatives over at neonlife.com community. So with that, it's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time. 